follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing good. I am glad to hear it, and I want to say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for this episode. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, capital C in Corners, capital P in Podcast, to save... 10% off your order. Uh, other shout out folks in Eastern Kentucky are trying to rebuild and they could use all the help they could get. So I'm going to recommend you go through Apple shop, a P P A L S H O P.org. Uh, if you would be interested in donating and helping these folks out, if you would like to help a business that's definitely donating to help them out, then I'm going to say, go through Appalachian apparel. That's a P P A P P C O.com. Uh, they make really comfy quality shirts. Don't they Matt? They do. They absolutely and, do. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's folks that could really use your help in in a time and place where things are really hard for them. All right, that shout-out out of the way, we throw it over to Matt. <laughs> uh, that would, the shout-out would go to Orlando Cologne. Uh, I hope Orlando Cologne announces for the Royal Rumble and ruins all sorts of surprise about him actually appearing in the Rumble, <laughs> which is something that Cody Rhodes did. <laughs> Why did, they do, why did they do that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, Trying to get people I, to watch the Rumble? I guess. I'm, I I expect Rudy, Cody Rhodes to, like, to win because there's lots of rumors about WrestleMania, and it's I think it's questionable if mm -hmm. The Rock will actually I don't show up so. and do a match. No, but it's not happening. But if, if this is like the last uh, two-day uh, two Mania for a while – forever then they want to try to milk that so it, why not do the second night be roman versus cody and cody wins but i don't know if they're gonna do that. i think they're i think they're dumb enough to job cody to roman because they think like oh we'll just put him over at SummerSlam, and they don't realize the second they job cody to him like people will lose all interest in him and it'll, he'll just be yeah. another <laughs> guy he becomes well, yeah, a loser it, it'll be point. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, the, the chase. It's all about the chase. And it's like, no, 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 it's not always about the chase. Well, the problem no. the problem they have is I think <clears throat> I think AEW's botched that a couple times, but they have goodwill from the fans. The second WWE does that, like, they don't have the goodwill to 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 have the fans be patient with that. Plus, I yeah. think I think the other problem is they have to tread really carefully with the Sammy's stuff because they could get themselves in a situation where the fans are bell. Mm -hmm. So uh, as it turned out, Matt's statement was not a segue. That's why I didn't call it out as one. <laughs> but we are going to be uh, – that's not what we're going to be talking about tonight. But first, uh, we have something else to cover uh, that we will be revisiting. And this is the one time that the damn curse uh, did not strike us. And truth be told, uh, I, I kind of wish it had. Um, right before we went live, uh, news went out first over Twitter from Tony Khan, confirmed by Alvarez and Meltzer that um, Jay Briscoe passed away. Uh, there was a car wreck at 5.30 this afternoon in Laurel, Delaware. Um, Jay Briscoe died in the car wreck, age 38. And, um, you know, this sucks because, you know, here we were, at, the guy was basically, 
you know, kind of at the height of, of where he ought to be. And then we have, you know, this, and I, I'm at a loss. Uh, I wish I, I, I knew what to say here, but, um, I got nothing. Yeah. You know? Literally. If, if you're listening to this tomorrow, this happened like 10 minutes before we went on, on to record. And, um, we're kind of due to real life events. We're kind of, recording a lot of episodes in a short period of time because uh, we can't do episodes for a couple weeks coming up. So uh, it might be a little while before we come back to it just mm-hmm. due well, to how our schedule is set up. We are definitely <clears throat> coming back to it. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Matt? I, I was going to agree. We'll have a episode in the future where we kind of talk about the Briscoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and we can add more depth to, this, to yeah. things when we're there. It's just that this, it's... This mm-hmm. might finally be the excuse to do the ROH um CZW cage match. Uh, that Many people consider that one of, if not the best match in Ring of Honor history. And a lot of people say it definitely is the best match in CZW history. It's the creative... I would say if it's not the best match in ROH history, it's the creative apex mm. of... Yeah. It's ROH. something. It's something to behold. It, it legit is a great match and a match that people kind of have forgotten, like from mm-hmm. the aughts. And it's like you shouldn't. That was actually one of the best matches of the decade and deserves to be, deserves to in many ways deserves to be put on a higher pedestal than some of the the classic stuff that people talk about, like oh the the Sergeant Slaughter Pat Patterson boot camp match. It's like yeah, but this was like way better and it should be remembered more than it is. Yeah, for something like compared to something that was like big 40 years ago mm-hmm. versus like that match, which was big like 20 years ago. He was in one of the best matches I ever saw live. It was the Briscoes versus the Viking House Party at an ROH mm. show in like a shitty little building in Dayton. And it was awesome. Dude, I got to tell you, um, the uh, just seeing their FTR stuff was it was staggering. Like their, their, their FTR matches were just, you know, just blow you out of the water. And, um, you know, this really sucks. Um, yeah, they did finally, it, the guy had been contrite about some comments he had made years ago, ever since. <clears throat> and here he is, you know, finally, you know, having an opportunity to hit the big stage and, and, has shown everyone what he's got and you know yeah it's a shame yeah uh it's hard to we literally just started recording the show so it's hard to like scroll through like a twitter timeline it's hard to have it's hard to have thoughts right away too yeah, yeah i'm i am seeing uh comments uh one comment i did see from from effie Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, very outspoken member of the LGBTQ community uh, and, and obviously a wrestler. And he just had like a, a brief tweet where he talked about how he you know, has had the chance to work with Jay, with Jay Briscoe. And he said that Jay showed him nothing but respect and love. Yeah. The times he worked with him or times he, he was met him. And he's like, you know, I was told that he wasn't going to be that way. And referring to like past ignorant comments that jay briscoe had made but he made them like a decade or so ago yeah that's the thing i think people i noticed when um they bought roh a lot of people like me were kind of like well that was like five years ago then you like looked back to when it happened like oh that's more like eight years ago and i think a lot of people were kind of like well like maybe let's see what they have to say and i think mark made some comments in an interview that i thought were pretty fairly honest about like mm-hmm. it all so i think um i was of the opinion that they deserved a second chance yeah um there is a uh the there's a reddit thread that's got a compilation of responses from um from wrestlers and cash wheeler's heartbroken about it stokely hathaway has a, a great story he, he said you know he joined Ring of Honor in 2013 as a ring crew guy, crew guy. He barely knew anyone, but the two guys who treated him with kindness and respect were the Briscoes. 
he said, you know, uh, look, I don't know. I, I don't have, I don't have any other words right now. This, uh, it's where we are. Um, it's not our topic tonight, but this will be our topic in the near future. So, what are we going to talk about tonight? So this is the debut episode of WCW Saturday Night. Now, this is a little weird because they didn't change time slots and they didn't really even change the graphics that much. So essentially what they did is they just changed the name from World Championship Wrestling to WCW Saturday Night. And I think they changed like where like Jesse and Jim Ross were sitting and they mm-hmm. took it out of center stage a bit. So this is the first episode. So this is from April 4th, 1992. Okay, April and 4th, 1992. So let's let's start off. Um, so th- this was not like a WWF Muzak um, intro. This was the real one. And mm-hmm. oh my God, they like blew my hearing out <laughs> with how like <laughs> overdubbed they did that. Yeah, it was pretty loud. So let's just get that part out of the way. So regardless of what I'm going to say about the show is the the production done on this mm-hmm. show was an absolute atrocity. <laughs> there was a lot of not good. Um, like the green screen interviews, like their hair was like pixelating and like doing weird stuff. And you could tell it was green screen. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to point out was how bad the green screening was. Like Rick Rude's music had the same weird like overdubbing. They they piped in crowd noise and it was not done well at all. Like it was distractingly bad. Yeah. Yeah. The weird TV, they couldn't even spring for a good TV to put between Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. <laughs> what did you guys uh, so, so what did you guys think? So the, the way they did this, which I didn't particularly like and I think it's because they weren't in center stage, so they kind of had Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura sitting on like a set. And I don't know if they were in the arena or if they just spliced the arena footage in, is which I'm thinking they did, and then they just like piped crowd noise in. Mm-hmm. But I thought that made the show really awkward, and I did not like it. What did you guys think about it? I the the piped in crowd noise was distracting when I thought about it. But then, on the other hand, uh, at least for me, I was able to kind of just ignore it and and not think about it. But, um, you know, yeah, when I did notice it, it was just like, oh, oh, please don't. Please don't. Yeah. What did you think about them being on, like, that weird set that was disconnected from the in-ring? I didn't really like that. I think they were trying to go for something there. So trying to be like prime time with Jesse and I think so. I I know gorilla and Bobby. Sorry. Yeah. I I think they were trying to, to go a certain way. Um, so I, I kind of like appreciated that, but I, it it didn't really click with me. Like I like that. I like that they were trying something different Mm -hmm. because they're trying to do like a new look, a new like idea, a new format, which I, again, I appreciate it, but I don't think it, worked out great yeah yeah i didn't either i can't fault them for a swing and a miss you know and it's not like they were doing something outlandish really yeah Um, but it no it didn't hit um so i i don't hold it against them too much so now so we start this off so they show a bit of um pillman and liger from super clash no super super brawl too sorry Mm -hmm. i'm getting my super Shit's mixed up here. That, <laughs> Super Clash is AWA. So um, they kind of show that. And now this is where this next part is where WCW should have done more of this because so this devolves into Jesse and Jim Ross having probably like a two or three minute conversation about like the light heavyweights and talking about like the technical prowess of it and how it they're different. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it because Jesse was really pushing this. And I was like, you know, they should have done more of this because you didn't get this kind of nuanced take in WWF. You still don't, really. <clears throat> no, and it, it, I actually remember this conversation. We had actually, uh, I think we were doing Brad Armstrong. We had covered the whole Brad Armstrong, Flying Brian match. 
on yeah. this show actually i didn't know that it came from like this first first air quotes like wcw saturday night it wasn't really the first obviously but they the first since like the rebranding and i was there was a conversation between jesse and and uh jr that i remembered from that because it like clicked with me and it was like I, jr had asked him like oh there's a there's this like five pound weight difference or what however much the the actual weight difference was it's like is that going to make a factor and like one the one the heavier opponent actually being able to you know, do a little better than the match against this uh, lighter opponent and it's like and jesse's like i don't think so jr i don't think so and he like explains his rationale and in some ways when you're watching it like you might be like what are they going on about they're going on about like five pound difference or whatever but it's like if you sit down and think about it sometimes it takes like a couple times to watching this like this is the second time i'm watching this match in uh in recent times and i'm yeah i just paying attention to the commentary and i'm like damn that actually i follow the logic here that jesse's trying to convey and actually is interesting and like invested in it and i agree with you brad it's like it added a whole other depth to it it's like it's there are two dudes like play fighting really that's what that's what wrestling kind of is but you have to have this suspension of disbelief you're trying to present it much like the japanese does like better i feel presenting it like like it's a real sport or that it is actual like real uh combat sport presentation yeah and so doing things like that it's like just literally two dudes talking about like oh does does this slight weight advantage make a big difference you can sit back and be like oh man, I have to think about this. And maybe it does because in real life you wouldn't have like a heavyweight in UFC just going in there against like a, a super flyweight or something. It's like, you Not wouldn't anymore. do that. Yeah. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really do it. Like there, some, the bigger uh, opponent would possibly have an advantage. So you have to sit back and it's like, you get to think of it. You have to suspend your disbelief. You're, the whole point is that you're trying to suspend disbelief and you haven't the two guys out there and you have to think you're like, oh man, Maybe it does make an advantage. Like maybe, maybe I agree with Jr. Maybe I disagree with Jesse. That that's that's not an advantage. It's like you sit back and it's like it caught me, it got me. I'm like, oh man, damn. For a match that I'd already seen, like in the last six months. Yeah, and I like that. It, yeah, you were saying, Matt, that that he is presenting logic. It, it's a big word for it, but the verisimilitude, the consistency of the internal logic of what we are watching and the fact that Jesse has these well thought out reasons for his opinions in it. I really appreciate because he goes, you know, five pounds isn't that much because they're used to dealing with guys that are way bigger than that with each other. But the light heavyweight division gives these guys an opportunity to really stand out. And I'm just, it's a really good point. And Jesse does that a fair amount in this show you know he's mm-hmm. he has his opinions but his opinions are not like oh you know i like the heels better it's like he has actually like well thought out articulated opinions for everything it really and i con- really appreciate it it really contrasts when we watched um those mr perfect and doink matches mm-hmm. and the announcing really took away from like what they were doing except for when it was gorilla and um Oh, who was Gorilla with? Oh, because it it wasn't Bobby. Was it with? It wasn't with Ventura. Was it Savage? I was thinking maybe it was Lawler. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, I think it was Lawler. But I was just thinking like that first one was really good, and we were talking about like the work, the the limb work, and how much it mattered to like their finishers, and then Vince is just. Oh, he got him! No, yeah. Ah, oh, one, two, three, he got him. Yeah. Oh, Vince, it was the one count. It was, yeah. Yeah. So, so that kind of stuff. But I, I really like the whole segment and with the match because it is something like there was, there wasn't like a Viking, there wasn't like zombies walking around. Like it really, it really differentiated WCW from WWF. And I wish that they had had the confidence to really stick to that instead yeah. of trying to be WWF light to the very end. Yeah, and and it, it really worked. So, um, what was the first match that took us to? That was the, so we. This was Brad Armstrong and Brian Pillman for was it for the light? Yeah, for the light heavyweight yeah. title. We we reviewed this on the Brad Armstrong episode. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 
So this it's is actually, still good. Yeah, it's a really good match. I actually liked it better the second time. I agree. I actually, it was, I, uh, I got more out of it the second time. I think it's because we I, watched uh, a lot of old footage going into this, and the pacing of the match was really like different with it, it more was, context. The the first thought that I had on watching it again was, it's like, oh, it's Battle of the Mullets. Which mullet will mullet the other mullet? But you know, these guys had high flying at this point in time was not high flying that it would be even in 97 like five years later and yeah. so in doing so we have this you you have to bear that in mind because if if you've watched a whole bunch of modern and or recent stuff then uh it, it, it's it's not going to seem like a big deal so you do need a little context but this is good to watch you know Brad Armstrong does a really good job. I had forgotten that the side Russian leg sweep was his finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew that. I, I, I was aggravated that um, I was really aggravated that we did not get a Brad Armstrong entrance and we got robbed of his like sweet ass like guitar riff music. Yeah. But it's still a good match. It's it's good watch. Oh, yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely worth a watch. That's on YouTube by itself. I would highly recommend checking that one out. Yeah. And again, the commentary, the commentary adds to it in this one. Yeah, so it's, it's good stuff. So then we go, we go back into like the the studio part, and we we get Ron Simmons, and this is, um, this, I I have a lot of feelings about this Ron Simmons segment, and I think it's going to be shared. So for one thing, that their approach was a little ham-fisted and outdated. I thought. Well, I. Th- thought that it was dated yes but i did not like watching it now it's definitely dated but i thought well you know this is a product of the time it's the early 90s this is this is common and so looking from that perspective this was basically a hype piece for ron simmons and i really liked it for that he's he's cutting excellent (laughs) like his talking section Really, I, I had never thought much of him as a talker. I'm like, damn, like, you guys really missed the boat on this guy. No, I, I I messaged you guys, and I don't understand how really both companies whiffed on Ron Simmons. Like, WCW less, because they obviously were kind of pushing him uh, as, a, as a main, like, face star here. Yeah. And he did... I believe by the end of the year, like close out the year as like champion, but then they, they were like, okay, they pulled almost like a Vince McMahon and it's like, okay, you're champion, but, uh, you know, we like other guys more, so we're not really going to do much. Yeah. And his big, his big, we'll get there, but his big pay-per-view title defense was against like a recently jumped barbarian, which just isn't like a pay-per-view match. Now I will say, I, I liked him in the APA. I thought that was a really good use of him, and I imagine he did not mind getting paid a lot of money to just beat up the same guys in Boston every time they they came <laughs> through. Was that Boston? Or was that like Rhode Island or something where they kept going to that bar? And... It's probably Boston. Um, I was going to say that I thought it was it was less apathy in WCW towards him and that he was kind of floating around in the middle of other angles that were happening because – that first match with Luger was obviously going to end up being the payoff against Sting. And they're like, well, we're building to this thing with Sting. We're going to do that. And then, you know, they're going into the, um, you know, the Sting Vader thing here. And it's, they've got these things they've set up and they need to pay off. And at some point they needed to break that and say, okay, now we're putting Simmons in, which they did. Well, but I, I thought it was less apathy and more like, well, we got to finish what we're doing right now. Well, the problem is too. I think this is where they're. I think they finally got the right people that did not have um, how shall we say it? Some not progressive views on race. Um, is the Bookers to finally like start getting him? Because mm. he was talking. Because someone asked him about why they took the masks off Doom, and he's like. Because they realized we were black and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I mean, Bill Watts came in and put the title on Ron Simmons. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I think I, I think it took I think it took getting 
Kip Allen Frey in there. I think it took some injuries at the end of 91, but I think it took Frey finally going, being a corporate guy and being like, hey, this guy's popular. Let's let's push him. And then Watts coming in and being like, put the belt on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I reiterate my point. Like, I feel like, I feel like people whiffed on him. Like you, oh yeah. Like what we saw, what we have seen so far in like late 1991 and into 92, it's like you could have really pushed him. And I don't mean just like the title. You could have had have him like a good title reign, mm-hmm. and you could have really cemented him as like one of your top guys. And the people were behind him. He was a good talker. He had charisma. He was a good enough worker. I mean, he's not out there like like Kenny Omega. This match you know? with Luger was, was pretty decent though. I, it, I actually would argue that that match was good. I'm not saying, you know, great. I'm not giving it like 80 stars like Meltzer does for an Osprey match in the dome. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it, it was a One good star match. One star per Osprey flip. That's how yeah. you get 80. <laughs> oh God. It, he, it was a good match. And, uh, part now part of that no no disrespect to Ron Simmons because I'm I'm here I'm hyping him up like I I think he had all the tools and should have been bigger, but Luger did bring it like that that late ninety one early uh, ninety two, uh Luger run right before he like bounced to go be a bodybuilder for like a brief period yeah like, what that showed me was like he Luger was way way better than people gave him credit for and give him credit for like he was actually. He actually, like, it was all clicking together for him, and he was actually a pretty good worker. He was legit. I would legit call him good. Yeah, he, oh, was, yeah. he was good. He was good. And I felt that the, the the match he had with Simmons was good because they really conveyed what they were supposed to convey, where it's like, oh, Simmons is like the upstart, and you had to resort to, like, chicanery to get to get Luker over him. But they also sold it where like, Luker was, like, clearly at times – mismatched against him in the sense that he he underestimated Simmons and Simmons was getting like he was getting his goat like he was gonna like win that championship he was gonna get him mm-hmm. so well, I think they had really to cheat they had to cheat to keep <clears throat> Luger in that one yeah yeah they did so they were they started off doing some of the right things I felt with Simmons and then you know the the kind of the wheels came off it what? they they half-assed it I felt yeah like they, they really like just committed to it and they didn't now, what I liked here is – so there's a couple of things I liked here. I like – I like um, on this whole show, I love Ventura being an unapologetic, rude fanboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that, that – well, and I like that it was a specific bias. Like, he wasn't always for the heels. He was for, like, rude. But I like that that comes up, and he's talking about, like, the rude awakening. And I don't remember what Simmons said his finisher was, which I should have written down. But I like how he's like, yeah, like, if he gets that on me, he can – he could beat me, but if I get him with my move, like he's going down too. And then he, it ends with him like taking his shirt off, and I like how Jesse immediately is like, "Oh shit, this guy could kick my ass!" Like, "Oh yeah, you're looking good, buddy." <laughs> uh, they, they, there's a rude match later that there's something that Jesse did on that I wanted to bring up, but yeah, there, there, Jesse looks at him and goes, "What have you got that you're gonna bring against someone like Rick Rude?" And when he, you know, he takes his his shirt and tie and coat off, and he. He really shows the strength. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> like you said, he backpedals real, real hard. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I, I really liked this as a hype piece for a babyface. I really enjoyed it. They got Bobby Bowden, not to say much, but they got Bobby Bowden. And I won't do the old Tim Wilson bit about Bobby Bowden, but Bobby Bowden liked the guys that he coached. So, mm-hmm. you know, good for him. I'm sure there was like 500 bucks in it for him. Oh, he's a good kid. Got good parents, you know. Um, sorry, I, I won't do that. That's you know, I it's funny I, when, when we watched the Luger Simmons match. He talked about. I watched an interview with Luger about Simmons, and then they touched on that in the match that he and Simmons. I think he got Simmons into the business. Oh, really? <clears throat> I think I, I'm trying to remember this, but he talked about he played for so Luger played for Miami, and Simmons played for Florida State. And he's talking about like oh yeah I remember the first time like I I saw him on the football field like he was just this monster and like the guy next to me had to block him and was just getting eaten alive all day. Yeah. Because you know that that, that was legitimate and, and Jim Ross brought that up as you know Simmons was like a defensive lineman and Luger was an offensive lineman so. 
Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think he did get Simmons in. Let me that, see. I do believe that, that that's like the story I heard. I think Simmons credits him with getting him in. Yeah, and that's I mean it's an amazing story. Oh yeah, well I, it's a lot of what happened out of um came out of like West Texas football is all the guys that got into wrestling through West Texas football too. Yeah, you know the Funks and and Bruiser Brody and so on and so forth. But um, so you know, good segment, good segment. So then it, then um. Oh, go ahead, Matt. And I I agree. Like he uh, it he was teammates with Luger, and I think that that is like the story that, that Luger got him in. Because I'm sure Luger, you know, Luger was getting in at that point. It's like I'm sure he was like, hey, uh, you know, you're really big and strong. Like you can. D-. I remember like again. Now we're going on about Ron Simmons, but I remember the story that uh that Mark Henry would tell. And Mark Henry is like obviously was Olympic level like strength mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, uh, powerlifting and other and other like weight activities. Like he was tremendously strong. He's and he would he always gives ahead. he always gives insane mad props to Cesaro as like being one of the strongest <laughs> guys he's ever. Which is yeah. crazy, because Cesaro obviously is Cesaro is like a very like built dude, but it's like he doesn't have necessarily yeah. the physique that that you would think would be like that you, strong. You know, I have to say though. You don't appreciate Cesaro's physique until you see him in person and you realize like his muscles have muscles on them. No, true. He and he's very tall. And, yeah. But yeah. it's just that he I think that that his height uh he has more of like he looks more lean and lanky, which yeah. is but then, uh, but then you see him in person and he's he's like shredded in person. You're like, "Oh, oh that I, doesn't come across on TV at all." I, I've never seen him like at, at live wrestle uh at least close enough that i could actually like i saw him at nxt and i was probably like i was in the balcony like right over the ring Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he uh but but that's crazy that he's like that mark henry giving him props uh but i i've shared this on the podcast before but one of the crazy stories that that mark henry would tell about ron simmons because they used to like travel together back in the day like around the time uh when they were in the the nation of domination together and Mark Henry would be like, yeah, we would go into the gym and run would come in like in like jeans. <laughs> like, oh, I remember the stories. This yeah, one where he like he's like, yeah, he do a couple things like look in the mirror, do another couple sets. And he's doing like 500 pounds like it's nothing or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's like Ron would come in in like in jeans and like tennis shoes, just like take his shirt off do some ridiculous amount of of, of weights on like just lifting take his like uh his hair pick out comb his hair like his, <laughs> his little hair he like for a minute do another set be done after after he does that set <laughs> and then he look at mark and he's like like move his thumb is like all right we, we're good let's go <laughs> it's like yeah. damn like ron simmons was a beast yeah yeah and i'm glad that he is considered like a, a legend uh, but i i personally especially after seeing a lot of this 91 92 stuff I kind of do wish that he had done more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's tough to say that because you have a guy who, like, for a time, like, he was a world champion. It's just he could have done even more and should have done even more. No, I, I agree. feel than just being, like, a tag team. Mo- remembered mostly for being a tag team. Being which, like I mean, a I kind of. world champion, too. Yeah. I kind of understand people. They just remember him with the Acolytes because, like, that was the most recent thing, or the APA, I guess you call them but that's the most recent thing but still his, and it um, was the his, apa was funny and so people have fond memories of that and that's why it sticks it stands out his ecw appearance was pretty good too mm-hmm. i don't remember who was against i know he came in for um to be two cold scorpios tag partner at some point and he cut like this badass promo but i don't remember who they were wrestling Oh, Matt, I, I figured mm. out when he was talking his finish. He called it a sidewalk slam, but he was talking about that spine buster he'd do. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's right, okay. I liked it, though. I like, I, 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 I did like the segment here, and I like the segment where he's like, he's basically going like back and forth with Jesse mm-hmm. and kind of giving it back to Jesse. And it's like, that's, it's it was funny, it was silly, but that's kind of what I really appreciated 
the uh, take no segment. shit attitude that baby yes, faces yes. don't have now where like if yeah, it was wwe it, he would just sit there like a bitch and take it yeah I, that's what i was thinking not specifically just like oh the w like negative wwe but i was like you know there's been in recent times there's so often that that baby faces just get as brian alvarez would say they just get you like geeks just yeah. like dumb dumb geeks and it's like no Braun simmons like was like giving it back he's like he's stand up for himself he was like giving it back as he was getting it like it's like yeah i love that i love i love a baby face that if you're not going to book him to beat the shit out of someone because that that sort of situation didn't call for he's not going to go out there and attack jesse but it's like oh okay let me give it back to jesse but yeah but why isn't that that's the thing a fantastic talker and like why would why would someone why would someone of ron simmons background and athletic career why is he going to let Jesse mouth off to him in an interview yeah. like that? He was a nice guy, but he was not a pushover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's God. It, 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 that's also it, what when we've watched the old stuff, though, that's like it's not like the Michael Cole thing again, where he's a geek. Like, that's yeah. what I love about Jim Ross and Lance Russell is they give it right back to people. Yeah. Yeah. They, you're you're absolutely right. You're you know, Alvarez has the great term for it. And, you know, the guy's a geek and he's it's frustrating because he's absolutely right. It's like, oh, you know, this guy's a geek. You know, he's not doing anything to. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you've got a really good point there. It, and it's it's really, really frustrating to. Uh, um, to watch the guy you're supposed to cheer for being like that. And it wasn't so much that he gave it back. He showed Jesse up too. Yeah, yeah, the baby face went over. And I like mm-hmm. that Jesse really set it up well for him to get shown up too. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse knew what he was doing. He knew what the he knew what was up. Yeah, Jesse was actually really good on this show. Like I know some of his WCW stuff gets a bad rap, but I think he's really good here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he was really good here too. So we're Just gonna through the whole show. We're gonna go to the next segment because um. Shad's favorite tag team in the world is in this. So hmm. this is the fabulous Freebirds versus Cactus Jack and DDP because God damn it. We haven't had enough Jimmy Garvin in our life. <laughs> so Shit. the one thing I want to point out first though, is I can't believe DDP didn't break his ass on that double back body drop. Yeah. He over rotated. Um, and I, I don't know if it was that he posted off too hard or if, they he was going up for it and they gave him too much on the way over but he he landed not straight down on his tailbone either but on his tailbone at an angle you could tell you could tell by the sound his impact made that he fucked himself too because it was like a thud you saw the look on his face at the landing and that was not a sell that was a legit like because because I, cause I watched it first, and I'm like, wow, DDP just broke his ass. Then Shad got there, and I was like, oh, that looks like it hurt. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering I'm wondering if they gave him too much because they weren't used to guys going up like he went. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know, but maybe so. I know Jim Cornette talked about that once, like the first time Bobby Lashley went to, um, went to slam him in OVW that – Lashley almost killed him because Cornette went up real easy and Lashley had had guys sandbagging him his whole career. Mm-hmm. So when someone went up like easy for it, like he almost, he like almost messed it up. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they were pretty, I think they knew though, because the, the Freebirds were kind of a little gingerly with him for a bit after that to make sure mm-hmm. he was okay. But I have to say again, I hate Jimmy Garvin. Yeah. There's a spot at the end of this match. Matt, you go ahead and do it. I'll I'll get to my thing after you get done. I I agree with you, Brad. Like I just rolled my eyes because I feel like I guess I didn't really pay attention to the free words during this era because uh, this is like this is actually just slightly before I got into wrestling. I I got into it about three months later, but so I would not have watched like this this match in particular. Really like this early free words run in ninety one ninety two, but. I'm not really liking Jimmy Garvin like a lot. Michael yeah. Hayes was fine to me. Yeah, Michael uh, Hayes, like you could argue Michael Hayes isn't selling enough, but I don't feel like Michael Hayes is sandbagging anything. And like oh, he's, I, 
he's not going into business for himself. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like everything Jimmy Garvin does is like going into business for himself and like sandbagging yeah. guys, and always like it's always like about getting himself over. Yeah. yeah. I that said, what I was gonna say is like I actually I didn't mind this match in the sense that I actually I actually liked the pairing of Cactus Jack and DDP. If you're gonna have two guys essentially do like jobber duty. Uh, that were kind of like name guys. Like mm-hmm. I, I did oddly think that this this pairing was actually fine. Like I thought both guys like really tried hard. I mean, obviously the story of DDP's career was that he got into wrestling, you know, older. Yeah. Uh, at least he was like probably like what in his at least his mid thirties when he got in, which is well, I he'd think been, so, yeah. he'd been, early thirties. He'd been managing since the AWA because he yes, he managed Bad Company by Bad Bad Company by the band Bad Company. <laughs> and he also he also famously was the car driver for the honky tonk man at SummerSlam eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's also some weird like some indie show I need to find that he was like doing color on in like 1990. Mm-hmm. But you know he got got out there and did it, and he there there was a clip I think prior to this about him having a conflict with someone that you know he wasn't supposed to talk about policies on air, and he's got fire in that promo even even in '92 he still got fire in the oh, promo Kip, when Kip he's putting Frey that. Would, had, like they were talking yeah. about Kip Frey had like censored him or something. Yeah, he still had fire in his promo, and it wasn't polished, but it was still good. No, he, the problem his promos have in this era, in my opinion, is like he's he's not confident enough to be himself, and like his like the mechanics of his promos are good, but he always ruins it with like hokey crap, like the good god and all that stuff. Like well, he, that might have been an encouraged thing at the time, too, depending on who was working with him. I yeah, don't mm-hmm. I, I just think that's where he's going wrong in this era. I think where he started to really get over is when he started, like, just being himself. And then mm-hmm. his promo skills were actually pretty good. Yeah. But uh, they had this – the thing that I was going to point out that aggravated me so much about Jimmy Garvin in this match is you get to the end of it, and – there's a spot where um, Michael Hayes goes for the DDT, DDT on DDP, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Garvin pitches Cactus out. Well, Cactus hits the outside and starts moving. It's pretty clear to me that when he hits the outside and starts moving, he's waiting for Jimmy Garvin to like jump on him so that he can't go back in the ring. It's, it's Cactus Jack, as the character, does didn't just walk off and leave if, if you know, the, the fight could keep going. Uh, he's on the outside, and he walks, like, directly across the front of the camera, and Jimmy Garvin doesn't go out after him. Jimmy Garvin just stands in the ring and poses while, uh, you know, the pinfall happens, and then he stands there and dances with Michael Hayes, and I'm like, you didn't want to get out of the ring. Well, he didn't want the camera to be off of him for five yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing, is I'm looking at this going... You were supposed to go to the outside and, quote-unquote, occupy Cactus so he couldn't get back in there. Now you've made Cactus look like a dumbass because you didn't want to, you know, get out of the ring for three seconds. Um, His, yeah, um, it just makes me like him less and less and less. And he wasn't starting on a real high no, and his, bar to begin with. His incessant pulling up of his pants the entire match was really pissing me <laughs> off, too. Yeah. Like every five seconds, he is pulling his damn pants up. It's like, dude, get yeah. pants that fit better. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So, anyway, so we 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 leave this. This wasn't terrible, but I hate Jimmy Garvin. So yeah. Um, so we get a recap of um, the Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat feud, and um, this segment was pretty cool. I don't know where this like whole thing with the strap happened. I'm guessing it was like last week on World Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. So they kind of do like Rude tried like he he wrestled Arn Anderson. Is it on my? Yeah, I, I don't I can't turn away and look at the, my results here, but. So, and then they kind of, you know, it's the whole dangerous alliance thing. So Rude comes in, tries to give him the Rude Awakening with the strap, and then Steamboat pretty much gets out of it. And, well, he kind of goes for it, and Steamboat kind of does, like, kind of, like, goes over his back. 
mm-hmm. and then pretty much uses the strap to choke Root. So that's kind of they're using just, Steamboat's black belt as the prop yeah. here for, and um, then you have you have Steamboat get loose and just go wild, thrashing Root around with it and that sort of stuff. And this is at least for me like some of the some of not the but some of the most vicious stuff i've seen steamboat do and you know what he's i mean he's a fiery white meat baby face but to see him like bust out the you have pushed me too far kind of stuff is it's nice it's refreshing you know I, i might be willing to say from what we've seen like 1992 steamboat might be the best steamboat it's the steamboat I think I've enjoyed the most. The 89 steamboat's really kind of lame. The matches are good, but he's kind of really doing bland. like the family man thing, and he's really bland. And there's like a there's like an edge to him that he had during the um, the final conflict stuff we watched that I really like. Like he's got that edge back to him. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Like I actually think that 92 steamboat might be my favorite, and that's tough for me to say though because. Like, again, 92 is the summer of 92, like halfway point of 92 is like when I got into wrestling and I was mm-hmm. like a kid. So but I I did remember him there in 92 and it's 93. And I thought he was like amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like after the fact, like years after the fact that I'm like, oh, wait, this guy had like a really long career besides just being in like Mania 3 because I, I was able to see old stuff. Yeah, he goes through. back to like the 70s. Yeah, I was able to see like at least like old WWF stuff uh, when he was in the, in the Fed, and I thought he was good then. But it's like ninety two, ninety three. Steamboat was probably my favorite because he was he was an upper mid card babyface. Could still could still compete for the title like he did in ninety four against Flair. I think that was like Spring Stampede, Spring Stampede 94, right? They're trying to recapture the whole 1989. Didn't they do vibe. a clash match in that run too? They could have, uh, but I did think he was really great. Like, I love the feud he had with Rude. Uh, the Iron Man match that he had with Rude is like really underrated. I remember watching great. that one mm-hmm. and not loving it. Now, that was a long time ago. That, oh, oh, God, that'd be 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And maybe in high, maybe if I went and watched it again, I would think it think very differently of it. But at the time, mm-hmm. I was frustrated because I'm, you know, it's this Iron Man match with these two legendary dudes, and God, I, I know the story they were doing, mm-hmm. but the pacing drove me insane. So well, maybe I mean, it would be different. You might, you might surprise yourself because yeah. I, I I remember when we talked about the uh, the 1992 SummerSlam show mm-hmm. when I was a child like through the the wonders of, of VHS tapes I saw that and I'm like oh man like Bret Hart David Boy Smith was like amazing and <laughs> watching it again like for the show like decades later I'm like well this was that smash actually wasn't like amazing or great it was a good match but I didn't like it as much as I liked Savage Warrior from that same show. Yeah. And I back in the day, it's like I hated Savage Warrior, and I thought that the heart Mike the heart uh, David Boy match was like amazing. And then years right. later, I look at it, it's like since I've I've had I've consumed more wrestling, I know I my my attitude on it has changed. I can and appreciate your things tastes more. are more set in stone, and I know exactly. I had the same opinion. It switches you, and I know why it is because Flair and Warrior. Savage and Warrior felt like an NWA title match mm-hmm. with the pacing and like the stakes and everything like was important and slow. And um, the the for me, what ruined the Hart Davy Boy thing was Hart refusing to work heel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, in fairness to Hart, too, Davy Boy was absolutely fucking useless in that match. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, here he is. He's supposed to be the um, the big you know, big, hot, over-the-top kind of guy, uh, you know, hometown baby face, and what does he do from it? He works the arm. He just works well, I mean, the arm. Remember, he, he did crack. <laughs> he did, man. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I can't do it as well. As I know, a... I can't either. Yeah, but... Uh... Him and Jim the Animal Nightheart getting into yep. trouble. Yep. So, then we had... Uh... Rude beat some jobber in like five seconds. Okay, so the, the thing I was going to put out about this one that um, I really enjoyed was the fact that there, I mean, this is this is basically an opportunity for Jesse Ventura to fanboy about Rude, mm-hmm. but he has reasons for it. He said, "No, Rude reminds me of me when I was wrestling," and I keep doing that Jesse voice that I know isn't actually good, but I, I guess I'm amusing myself doing it. Um, in the course of it, Jesse points something out. He hooks this jobber to do the Rude Awakening. And I never took a neck breaker the way Rude did the Rude Awakening, and I'm kind of glad because, God, that looked – for some reason in my mind, I can never get the, the pieces to go together about how you bump that properly and don't you know, hurt your neck. But Ventura says – Ross asked him, he says, do you think that move can beat Ron Simmons or Vader or, or you know, another big name? He goes – if applied properly, I think it could take out anybody. And it's so I was so taken by the fact that Jesse Ventura built the caveat in of he thinks the rude awakening neckbreaker could take out anybody, but he has to get it properly. If it slips, if it doesn't go on just right, it may not do it. And I just I don't know why, but that little detail of Jesse putting that in there leaves an out for later where they could be like, oh, you know, he didn't quite get it, or, you know, he landed that perfectly, this is over. Um, I just really liked that. You know, I was thinking, remember he showed up doing jobs in the uh, Final Conflict thing, and he still had, like, the same physique in, like, 1983? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I just think is funny, but um, I also like that Rude does forearms instead of punches. They look really good. Uh, and because the way he like winds up to do them. Mm-hmm. Well, he he throws them like a punch. He brings the arm back, but instead he's, he brings the uh, the elbow up for the strike. And I wish I had done more of that. I spent so much of my career trying to get um, trying to get my punches just right when I could have been throwing elbows like that instead. Uh, I, I wish I had. Um, it looked good. Selling them doesn't, you know, it. they're easier to work. They look better. It's harder to make a shot like that look like crap. <laughs> yeah, I, I really so. it's really remarkable how much better in WCW he is than mm-hmm. he was in WWF. Oh, yeah. Like, the, and I think um, I think I love Heenan, but like Heyman is such a better pairing with him. And mm-hmm. rude. It, he is just such a star watching this. I, you know, he was a big deal in WWF, but he was just, he was such a big star. There's some, there's like a, there's a certain cool factor he has that I don't think anyone's ever come close to like touching. Not the same way, but, oh, did you notice that at the end of the, uh, at the end of the match, um, they, they, Ed Sullivan direct route. <laughs> <laughs> Because at the beginning, of, you know, he's doing his hip gyrations and he starts doing these hip thrusts and you're like, well, uh, OK. And then at the end of the match, they um, when, you know, he's in the middle of the ring and they're they're panning it around and zooming it in on him. They zoomed it in to where the bottom the bottom of the shot is right below his navel. So you can tell he's doing the motion, but it's not on screen. <laughs> I also love his. I know he does it the promo a bunch. It still makes me laugh every time. I was like, I want you like fat like hill like redneck hillbillies to keep it down while I take my robe off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he he, keep, he switched it up more. It wasn't always quote unquote sweat hogs. There, if mm-hmm. I the my favorite takeoff of that is um. Someone did like a Ned Flanders meme of him like cutting that promo with like the Rick Rude tights on. Mm-hmm. It was very Flanderized, but I don't, I don't, I haven't seen it in a long time. I'd have to go find it. Yeah. So that was the Rude Squash match. 
So uh, then, what's that take us to? I think it takes us to the main event. It does. Uh, we were talking briefly before the show that they, for some reason, there's a couple uh, squash matches that which we they're not included on the network, but they're like three minutes or less, so it's not a big thing. Well, we, I was looking at that, and I think what happened there is they they did a double taping, so I think there is confusion as to what went where, and they mm-hmm. might have been repurposed to a different show. Okay. So there, yeah, there's a there's a batch of of matches that you might find on recap lists that weren't actually there. So uh, the main event. What was our main event tonight? So it's this, time for the main so, event. So this is a gimmick they were doing <laughs> for a large portion of 1992. So every main event, and I actually like this gimmick, and I wish AEW or someone to do this. So the main event every week was a two out of three falls match. Mm-hmm. So this is. Stunning Steve Austin defending the television title against Tom Zink. Mm-hmm. And Tom Zink cut, cut, cut like the most um, boring promo before this started. Yeah. So then um, what, what I did like, though, is it was mostly the Austin one, but like how they kind of come through the locker room and out into the arena and like they kind of they kind of like do that as the entrance. I thought that was cool. And I have to say, I don't like Tom Zink, but I really like this match. The match was pretty good. Uh, I understand the, the gimmick and they're going some, something new with the whole like two out of three falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about this before, back when we were doing the, the shows on Matt Bourne, but it's like, I, one of these like late 92, Two out of three falls was like Matt Bourne versus Arn Anderson, uh, which was awesome. It was like an awesome match uh, because Matt Bourne is actually way better than people give him credit for. He's kind mm-hmm. of forgotten. And Arn Anderson, of course, is like amazing. But I, I understand the concept, but it's also like you never – they never really did anything with uh, with Zink. So it's like why are you having Steve Austin like job one of those falls to Tom Zink? Like clean. Because I mean, it's a two out of three falls match. You can. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but it's like you also like unless you're gonna do something with Zink, it's like why do that? Yeah. I like that. Now, I think some people that watch this would be annoyed at kind of the abruptness of the end, but I really liked it in the context of this match. I did too. Because uh, it shows the... like it shows what being like why Austin's the champion because he got that opening kick wham, it's over. Yeah. He's out of there. Well, it, he. Zink fed right into Austin's big move, and he caught him and dropped him, and there it is. So I, I like that as a finish. It's just like, oh, Austin was cagey enough to catch you with it. You know, you kind of fed into it. So, but yeah, I thought this this was a good fiery little TV championship match. Mm-hmm. And I also like where I think this works well is then they could put their commercial breaks between the falls. So you got the whole match. Yeah. They, they took breaks between the falls. So it wasn't, you know, you do this and then go straight into the next one. Um, so I think that was a, a smart move. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that Austin ends up losing the TV title to Barry Windham in a couple weeks after this. I don't think I knew that either. So I was curious because Austin's been the, the TV. I think Austin is the only championship belt that hasn't changed hands since we started this. So I was curious who he lost to and how long he had it. Yeah, because Rude picked it up right right there towards the beginning, didn't he? Yeah. Picked up the U.S. title. And the world title just changed at Super Clash. The tag titles have changed hands a couple times. Um, light heavyweight titles. I mean, we've, we've seen, like, the entirety of its, like, changes so far. Mm-hmm. Because we saw Pillman win it at Halloween Havoc, and then um, Liger had it, and then he just won it back. So we, we've seen all of that so far. Mm-hmm. And I think the U.S. titles are new, or just recently brought back. Okay. I don't uh, think... The... The no. U.S. tag title thing always kind of... I was like... Uh, no, because the, the, the... 
Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion oh, had him, I think. Yeah, the Patriots. Yeah. I, I I never really cared for the idea of having like the junior tag titles for some reason. I mean, I I don't know. It seemed like they didn't really have enough time to do that with. Yeah. That makes any sense. I agree. But So, uh that's that's it for this episode. It was pretty it was pretty it was pretty quick watch, actually. So what did what did you guys think of the show? Why don't we start with Matt? Uh I I'm probably a little nostalgic for this era because again, as I've said like five times before in the show, like ninety two WCW is like where I actually got into wrestling. And and I I have all sorts of like feels for it. It's like it's like it's home to me. It's like, oh my god. And I wasn't even again it was like about three four months before like the really the the stuff that i remember because i was getting into it began so i'm a little bit nostalgic for it and like this is what i like uh this is what got me into wrestling uh that said like i did not think that this show was great uh i i thought that the the opening match is actually much better the second time around like we said and I didn't mind the Freebirds tag because it was so quick. And the yeah. main event I thought was technically good, but I didn't really care for it. So, but I did like that they were trying something different, and I liked that some other stuff, like the whole, the whole explanation or promos of Steamboat and Rude, uh, kind of leading up to their like feud. And I liked the Ron Simmons stuff. So, uh. I can't say like a thumbs up, like it's a like it's a pay per view type of sh- a show, mm-hmm. but I did kind of it's I, I would not say thumbs down. It's more like thumbs in the middle because it's like I see where they're kind of going, and it's an interesting like changing concept that they would do. It, it, eventually, like by the end of '92, I felt it was mostly just like back to like a WCW Saturday Night format where it's almost like all squashes. Yeah, it's mostly. It seemed like it was mostly like back to like world championship wrestling. Full squashes, uh, maybe a feature match if you're lucky. Yeah, but that's that's how. Oh, I don't know if it's just like that's what TV was because certainly like the WWF back at the time would do the same type of format. But yeah, that was it. It, it was in the process of changing. Like they were giving you a little more than you would get in like the 70s. Mm. But you know. But like it wasn't like what Mid South was or like UWF. Like they they were they but like they they're giving you more than WWF was. Yeah, but it's certainly like with Raw and Nitro and then the Monday Night Wars, like it changed where it's like you're actually getting what you would potentially consider to be like you know pay per view quality matches, not necessarily in terms of like work rate, but in terms of like. Names. Yeah, name name matches yeah and this is an era uh, for though free where, tv this is an era though where you weren't necessarily snowflaking everything though no uh, that's that's a whole other argument where it's like if you watch any given dynamite mm-hmm. like Meltzer would practice would pretty much give like everything four stars it up and it's like okay like i'm not even disputing that the matches were, were good to great but this is a little much to be like every week it's this quality. Yeah. And but I feel like that's because that's because like back in the day, let's say you have like a dynamite right now, like this upcoming dynamite and it's like five match show. And the, the ratings for all of the matches are either like three stars to up and up. Like if you had like a five match show for back in the day, in the let's say the nineties or even like the two thousands and the quality of that show was at least three stars and up. You would have been like, oh, my God, great. You need yeah. to get this. Well, and I think it needs to be said, and I've said it on this show before. If you go back and watch old TV posts, like let's say pre, pre-Nitro. pre We'll say pre-Nitro because Nitro really is what like changed it. Old wrestling TV is essentially like a televised infomercial for the live events. Like that's okay. that's what it is. Like 
The TV is designed specifically to get you into an arena to pay for a ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's what it's that's what it's all about. Like when we watched as awesome as like when we watched Final Conflict is when you watch the TV, it was specifically about getting you to pay for a ticket. Yeah. Get you in the door because that's where they're making their money. Yep. Um, I, I liked watching this just for the simple reason that in watching it, it's a um, – it's got its structure. Everything in it has a point. They know what they're doing even if everything doesn't have to be – if I'm going to – I'm going to tie this to an AEW criticism oddly enough, but – if I was going to tell AEW to like cut something out, it'd be like, guys, you've got to throttle the hell back. You you do not need – I do not need everybody trying to have an epic banger every week on TV because, mm-hmm. for God's sake, quit kicking out of each other's finishes on like Wednesday night. Can can we at least please say – I call it the AEW excess. They, they want so hard to do so well, to do such big stuff. It's like – Okay, I get that, but for God's sake, throttle it back a little bit because you are aggravating the hell out of me. You know, it's 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 a great match, but I do not need. You know, I didn't need Takeshita kicking out of the Busaiko knee last week. You, you let the match end there. That's fine, or or something like that. But um, in this case, we have you know in in this everything has its place. We've got a good match to watch. That's our main. We've got some some puff pieces. We've got some like some regular old like we're gonna go out there and we're gonna do a good job matches, but we're not gonna kill ourselves trying to pull it off kind of thing. And I'm good with that. You know, for me the the golden age is the honestly it's the kind of late nineties nitro stuff. But you know this has a point. It does a good job, and. Um, it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And I, I kind of watching this, I was like, you know, I kind of miss the simplicity that this show has. Like nothing's 20 minutes long. It kind of moves like the promos aren't too long. They just kind of push some things along. Like, uh, they give you a reason to watch next week, which mm-hmm. honestly, like I'm not, I, I, Terry Taylor and Greg Valentine first the Freebirds for 19 minutes is like the stuff of nightmares, but we won't talk yeah. about that. Um, but Could yeah, it's, not, please. yeah, but it, you know, there's nothing that's going to like blow you away on this show. Like you get two pretty good matches, um, which for TV at the time was rare, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a fun hour of your life. It's fun. Yeah. You will come away from this saying, huh, that was that was some solid professional wrestling, and I might actually want to watch the next episode. Yeah, that was all right. I'm good with that. So, all right. Well, guys, um, anything we want to say on the way out? No, I think I'm good. Mm, I'm good. All right. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for being with us for this episode. That was WCW Saturday night, April 4th. 1992 uh first first saturday night we would love to hear from you on social media um were we overestimating anything did you think that was the best z-man match you've ever seen in your life you know did you think we were being too nice to recruit i don't know tell us on social media we'd love to hear from you and so this is shad with matt and brad we've been in three corners you're in the fourth and we'll catch you next time